we have come to the second horse. We're in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Last week, we looked at the first horse, which was deception. Remember, if you read Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, it says Jesus, the disciples asked about the, the end of the age, the signs of his coming. And in all those places, he said, take heed, no man deceive you. Many false Christs, they're going to come and say they're the Messiah. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, earthquake. Those are the exact order of things we see here in Revelation chapter 6. We're seeing the beginning of those things. You know, we're not in Matthew 24. That The, the tribula, tribulation begins and those things come to a fore. But we're seeing the beginning of them. That's why it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should stir one another up to faith and good works, not neglect the gathering together of ourselves, as is the manner of some. And it says, especially as you see the day drawing near. So there's something discernible about that day drawing near for us. And Matthew says, when you see these things, this, you know, this is the beginning of sorrows. These are just the beginning of birth pains. So we looked at deception last week. Jesus is, is opening the seals in his redemptive form as the Lamb of God and allowing these things to ride forth in full force on the earth. And first it was deception. It was the Antichrist. And whenever... There's the conquering of people through a political means or through an individual. To, and he says he goes forth to con conquering and to conquer. That ultimately results in revolution and upheaval and so forth. So as we come to verse 3, we're going to look at the, the, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse today. Verse 3 says, When he had opened, Jesus, the second seal... I heard the second living one, the cherubim, say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, The third living one, Come and see. And again, I beheld, you know, I, I looked at this and I thought about this. I beheld in low a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands, scales. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living ones say, a measure of wheat for a penny, a denarius, a day's wage, three measures of barley, for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of one of the living ones, a cherubim, say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, with the beasts of the earth. So kind of a little chipper Bible study for this morning, you know, kind of cheer everybody up. Uh, look, 
These things are things that happen after the rapture of the church. Uh, the question is, and, and we need to take it to heart, what do we do with it? I mean, look, look the Lord, has, he's dictating, John is writing, and, and this is to go to the churches. And what are we supposed to see in this? Look, certainly we see the beginning of those things, the rumbling of those things in the world. A hundred years ago, if you'd have told the church, hey, there's going to be worldwide states of war, they'd have never dreamed. Hey, there's going to be famine to a scale you can hardly imagine. Hey, you know, there's going to be one-fourth of the world's population slaughtered. A hundred years ago, they'd have thought you're out of your mind. But these things really have crept up on us, and we really stand at the precipice now. And you have to try to understand, you, you and I will be gone. We need to witness to our unsafe friends and relatives. We need to tell them, you know, we're going to leave you the book of signs. When I disappear, here's where you come and get the book, you know, or feel free to help yourself in the bookstore after we're gone, or, you know, just, you know, we can we can kind of prime the pump a little. We can even, the, the people we don't see converted, we can at least sow the seed. It never returns void, because during the tribulation, there are multitudes and multitudes through martyrdom and persecution and so forth that come to Christ. We'll see that in chapter 7. So imagine the impact here. First of all, we know by this point, I know by this point, and you should too, uh, that the rapture has happened. If you're a post-tribulationist, as your faith is, so be it unto you. But here, you know, the, the, this scene, what's coming on the world, the, the rapture has happened. <clears throat> Imagine what that means. How many million people disappear? What kind of pandemonium does that cause? No wonder the Antichrist can ride into power. The whole world's going to be disrupted. And here's the other thing about that when I think about it. I believe the children in every race, every culture, every religion are going with us. When God challenges Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and 2, he said, you know, he said, I was going to take you into the land, but you turned away in faith and unbelief. And you said, our little ones are going to be a prey. So God says, so your carcasses are going to fall in the, in the wilderness and your little ones who didn't know right from wrong, I'm taking them into that inheritance. David, when his first child was born of Bathsheba, he, uh, he the, 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 the child is sick and David begins to pray. And his servants see him. He's, he's not washed. He's not shaven. He's fasting. He looks terrible. And the boy dies. And they're afraid to tell him because he looks so bad. And he sees them, you know, kind of talking. And he says, what's, what's going on? Did the child die? They say yes. And David goes and he shaves and he gets dressed and he comes in to eat. They said, we don't get it. You know, while the child was alive, you're a faster you were miserable. You look terrible. Now the child's died. You look great. You're here eating again. And David said, well, first of all, he said, I prayed for the child when it was alive because who can tell when God might be gracious? That's the way we should all pray. There's no such thing as pessimistic prayer unless you're praying imprecatory prayers, and you shouldn't study that subject too much. You know, there's only optimistic prayer. David said, as long as the child was alive, I thought, you know, who knows whether God might be gracious. So then we, we beseech God for, for that. He said, but now that the child is gone, he says, I know he will no longer come to see me, but I will go to be with him. 
And David had said, at thy right hands, pleasures evermore. God had revealed those things. So David is saying, this little child has gone to glory, and one day I'm going to go and I'll see him there. In the book of Jonah, as you watch that, you see Jonah miserable because he preached the gospel in Nineveh. He probably bleached like a cue ball, but he he went and he pre- he was his message, but he preached it and said, 40 days judgment comes. That was his message. And the whole city repented. Can you imagine going out in Philadelphia saying, 40 days judgment comes, and the whole city changes? I guess it depends on the way you look while you're saying that. <clears throat> and he goes out and he sits outside the city and he's miserable. He said, God, I knew that you would be gracious to these people. I hate these Ninevites. I knew if I went there and told them about repentance, they'd do it. I knew this would happen. And he's sitting there and a gourd grows to give him some shade. And he just sits there hoping God might change his mind and just smoke Nineveh. And then the gourd dies. Worm comes, eats the gourd dies. And then he's griping about it. God says, really? You're griping because your gourd died? He said, what about the 120,000 little ones? Children in Nineveh who don't know right from wrong. What about the cattle? What about the innocent life there? You would have that all gone? Jesus said, let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So the Bible definitely draws a line between children and adults. The church has grasped hold of this phrase, the age of reason. That particular phrase is not used in the Bible anywhere. God does say through Isaiah, come let us reason, though your sins be as scarlet, be white as snow, and so forth. So God does recognize at a particular point, and it may be different in the lives of some young adults, that they're no longer children. They've begun to reason. They've thought about eternal things. They've begun to measure the fact that they're sinful and need forgiveness. With the Jews, that was 13. When the boy was bar mitzvah, again, he would come and... Uh, the father would say to God, this kid's no longer accountable to me. He's accountable to you now. And the boy would say to Jehovah, I am now accountable to you, no longer accountable to my father. And he was considered a man at that point in time. I think Romans and Greeks were 16. So there is a point in the life of a child when God recognizes this particular child is reasoning these things out. But before that, he considers the children innocent. So when the rapture happens, Muslim children, Buddhist children, Hindu children, children all around the world, unbelievers' children, all the little ones are gone with us. And imagine how that will preach in every culture and every race and every religion around the world. Particularly, it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We know flesh and bone can. Jesus said to his disciples, touch me, though the spirit have flesh and bone Blood was drained out on the cross. So all of those children, do they leave a, a little pile of bloody clothes on the ground when they disappear? There's going to be such a testimony that takes place around the world just from the rapture. Then add to that somewhere early in the, the first years of the seven years, one-fourth of the world's population gone. You just imagine the turmoil there's going to be. 
somehow the Lord wants us to see this and understand it. And guys, I just think there's, a, there's an unction now. Our unsafe friends, our relatives, those that we love. You think what's coming, you couldn't wish it on anybody. The person who drives you out of your mind that you detest. You must understand, we could never wish these things on anyone. Because to, to perish then is to go into outer darkness forever. That's unimaginable to me. And, and where are we in regards to these things? Look, he first says... This red horse rides forth, and the one who sat on him was able to take peace from the earth. He has a big sword. doesn't say that he causes war. He takes peace. So the Antichrist must have established a false peace. And, and the, war, the world then is engulfed in war. We've had World War I, World War II, World War III is ahead of us. I heard someone say World War IV will be fought with rocks and sticks. Because that's what will be left after World War III. Look, red horse riding forth. Understand today, getting ready for this. And by the way, this is the restrained version. It will finally be unrestrained, but the restrained version is, and, and I try to be conservative with these statistics. You can look them up in different places. Yearly expenditure on weapons and military spending, $1.5 trillion dollars. A year. That's $4.5 billion per day. That's $172 million an hour. Well, we're here for one hour. That's $3 million a minute. Wouldn't you like to have that for a couple of minutes? That's $50,000 per second. 40% of the world's wealth in one way or another, whether it's research and development, whether it's directly to weapons or military involved in these kinds of things, 50% of the world's scientists, even at a distance, in research and development and so forth, involved in military hardware and, uh, and, and uh, war in one way or another. That's enough money, $1.5 trillion, to feed the world for somewhere between 35 and 50 years. That one year of, of that military spending could feed the world for 35 years. Look, that's why Jesus says when he returns, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And, and, and the world's not going to learn war anymore. Nations will not learn about war anymore, but the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's an incredible thing to think right now there's at least 10 countries with nuclear weapons. There used to be what was called the mad doctrine. When the United States had nuclear weapons and Russia had nuclear weapons and China began to come into the picture... There was the mad doctrine. That's mutually assured destruction. Because the Russians thought, why should we fire on America? Because they've got enough subs, they've got enough stuff in space. Even if we blow up the mainland, we're going to disappear too. So that's mutually assured destruction. No, there's no winner. Same thing with China. Countries were rational. This is, we don't want to let this out of the bag. This is the end of us all. But now, these are the countries that have nuclear weapons now. The United States, Russia, China, France, Britain, 
India and Pakistan, Israel, North Korea, and some say Saudi Arabia and Iran. And that kind of changes everything because several of those countries believe in reincarnation. So they got nothing to lose. People with believe in reincarnation with nuclear weapons. A little makes me unnerved, a little unnerved. And then some of these countries believe if you die for the cause of Allah, you go straight to paradise and get 70 virgins. So for them, losing's winning. How do you play chicken with somebody who thinks losing is winning? The, the mad doctrine's out the window. It's just madness now. Amongst those eight or ten nations, there's 13,000 nuclear warheads. I just want to cheer you up this morning. You know, 13,000 nuclear warheads. That's insanity. That's insanity. Look, one Trident submarine. Our Trident submarines are an older class. There, there are several newer classes. One of our newer classes, the submarine has more computing power than the entire fleet. And they're quiet. But Trident sub. I had a friend who was on uh, with a carrier group, and he said, uh, he said, as we are out at sea, there's several missile frigates, there's a couple submarines involved, there's a whole group, and he said the helicopters that stay in the air occasionally, as they're out at sea, all of a sudden the carrier disappears off the radar screen. They can look down and see it sitting down on the ocean but it disappears on radar. He said that we know there's a, in the Earth's magnetic field, there's a quark there for some reason, right at that spot, the magnetic field goes around it and you can't get a picture there and that's where we park Trident submarines, where you can't see them. They'll sit down there nine months a year sometimes. Now, the Trident subs were older, they had 24 tubes, those are things for firing missiles, 24 missiles, each one has 15 independently targeted warheads that are 10 megatons. That means that one Trident sub could hold 360 cities hostage. But those 360 warheads, 10 megatons apiece, look, one megaton is 50 times Hiroshima or Nagasaki. One megaton. 50 megatons is 500 times stronger than Hiroshima. 50 megatons, 10 megatons. So there's 360 independently targeted 10 megaton warheads on one sub. Understand that's 40 times the detonating power of all the sides in World War II, of all the armament, of, of everything detonated, of everything stored, one submarine today has 40 times the destructive power of everything that was involved in World War II. Isn't that great? Are, am I cheering you up? You're going to have to go see a psychologist after this, I know. <clears throat> but there's a point to this. My, my point is, you know, <clears throat> here it's finally unleashed. It writes, what we're doing now is getting ready for this. The, everything we're seeing now is the restrained version. And of course now... Certain countries would never want to be in a full-scale nuclear exchange with the United States or with Russia or so forth. So what they do is they practice shooting up a missile off of a freighter because if they could put a 10-megaton weapon 
over the United States, 400 miles high, it, the, the electromagnetic pulse will fry all the electrical gear in, in Mexico, the United States, and Canada. That's why you need to get a Bible, because your cell phone's a goner. <laughs> okay? Get a book, for goodness sake. And come back to faces. This is Facebook. That's where you should all be involved. <laughs> get back to it. Um, you know, because what happened was... It, after World War II, they began to test at the Bikini Islands, and they detonated hydrogen bombs in the atmosphere. And uh, what they real because they, they would put old ships out there to see how they were destroyed and so forth. But what happened that they didn't expect is it shut off radios and car engines in Hawaii. And they realized on a straight sight line to anywhere on the horizon when that detonated there was an electromagnetic magnetic pulse that shut down electrical things. That's why they all agreed to go to underground testing. So now there's guys who don't want to get in a full-scale exchange with us, but they realize, hey, we put one of those up over the one over the country, and there's whole think tanks in our military relative to electric magnetic pulse that are constantly warning. Uh, our administrations. Chipper, huh? You cheered up here as we go through this? War. This picture. Now, who always rides after war? The red horse is the black horse. Famine is the thing that follows war naturally because farmlands are destroyed, uh, potential to cultivate is destroyed. Um, the, one of our, our situations today as far as famine, look, we're not in this yet. Famine today, um, they say 10,000 people starve to death a day right now. Right now, this is not the black horse release. This is restrained. 416 people will die of starvation while we're here for one hour this morning. Amongst those... Uh, there's 3,561 children that starve to death daily. And while we're here, for an hour, 148 children will die of starvation. That's the world that we're living in. Looking at this picture here, understand famine follows war. And one of the problems that we're looking at today that no generation has ever faced, besides Bill Gates owning more farmland in America than anybody else. That's a chipper thought, too. Uh, one of the problems we're facing today that no generation has ever faced is that Monsanto and some of the large companies that produce seed for us, that's a blessing, but that seed is all impotent. Used to be, unless you can get heirloom seeds today, and it's a small minority of the seeds in a country, but if you, the, the seeds the farmers buy will grow their crop, but then they can't take corn kernels or grain and plant them the following year because they're engineered to be impotent. So this will be the first time that there's this scale of war in the world, and then the starvation is going to come because the farmers are not going to be able to replant their fields. They can't order from Monsanto or a company that produces seed because everything's down. And the, and the, the picture of this, you know, you think... What are we going to do? The United States now keeps one year reserve of grain. 
that would go so fast, it would be unbelievable. You can see why the Antichrist in 666 will come in to kind of start to manage this. Now look, it says, but leave the oil and the wine. Leave the oil and the wine. It says one loaf of bread, basically, will cost one denarii. Denarii was a working man's wage for one day. So if you make 24 grand a year, you make 100 bucks a day. Make $50,000 a year, you make 200 bucks a day. So one loaf of bread is going to cost 200 bucks a day. Each day, I don't know how you'll pay your mortgage, pay your water bill, pay anything else. Your, your total earning for a day is going to go to buy a single loaf of bread. Roman soldiers during this time in famine received three measures of barley for the day. That was, that was a famine uh, supply that they would get. It says here, poor people will buy three measures of barley uh, barley for a day's wage. It would be used to feed animals most of the time at this time, but barley is less expensive than than grain, than wheat. So it's not saying everybody's going to starve to death, but rationing is going to be so bad that the average working person is going to have to spend their entire day's wage to get a loaf of bread. But the oil and the wine, that's what the wealthy enjoy. Leave those alone. It's telling us after war and in the midst of famine, there's still going to be the, the rich, the, the, the ones who live in luxury. And then doesn't it always seem like it's that way? You know right now that 1% of the population of the world controls 90% of the wealth of the world. 1% of the population controls 90% of the wealth. And <clears throat> that's enough money for every person on earth at close to 8 million to be a billionaire several times over. Every person alive. And what people say, oh, you try to share the gospel. Well, oh, yeah, well, God, if God's a God of love, how come all these people are starving? Because the people with money are knuckleheads. That's why everybody's starving. They mean do with God. There's enough money down here to feed everybody. And, and I'm not against, look, the, I, I think you should be able to excel in business and become a millionaire. But if you look 100 years ago at the millionaires, they were building hospitals and orphanages. They were giving money. They were a philanthropist as well because it was just a much greater moral conviction about, you know, I'm blessed. I have to give back with some of this, you know. There's just not enough of that anymore. So this second, this third horse rides then this black horse, and there's famine. Uh, look, this is... We can see the rumblings of it, though it has not matured completely before us. Then we come to verse 7, where it says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth cherubim, living one, say, Come and see. And he said, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, chloros. It's a, it's a yellowish green. It's a picture of death. And his name that sat on him was Death. Death is riding it. And his buddy, Hell, is with him, following. So the other rider is the white horse. He's got a bow without arrows. Then the red horse has a sword. The black horse, you know, has a pair of scales. But this last horse has Death riding on him. And his buddy, Hades, 
is following right behind. So death is taking physical life and Hades is taking human souls into the darkness. And it says they ride forth and they're enabled to take one-fourth of the world's population. Again, today, all of South America, Central America, Mexico, the United States, Canada, and all of Western Europe without a single human being alive, if you can imagine that. I mean, this will be spread out globally, but one-fourth of the world's population are going to end here. And it says they're going to kill them with war, that black horse. I mean, um, war, the red horse, famine, the black horse. And then what's always left after war and famine is carnage and disease and so forth and pestilence. Beasts of the earth could be the oligarchs, the humans that are still trying to run things, but it, it seems more natural here. This is talking about, you know, the, the, the problem with pestilence and disease after these conditions become the prominent conditions in the world. I mean, look, World War I... The Spanish flu, which they've realized is an avian flu, the Spanish flu killed 50 million people. It, kill, it ended the war, killed way more than the war killed. 1918 in Philadelphia, the population of the city was 750,000 then. 250,000 people died in one year. Quarter of the city of Philadelphia, third, I'm sorry, died in one year. Some people were getting symptoms at breakfast and they were dead at dinner. This is the restrained version. COVID-19, that ain't nothing compared to what the world has seen and the world will see. The bubonic plague in Europe killed one third of the population of Europe carried by rats. Rats are, you know, are getting even with us for using them in laboratory experiments all these years. You know. The fleas on rats produced typhus to, you know, last century, 50 million people died of typhus from rats. And they're going to be running when, you know, after war and after starvation, and you're going to have just this movement of of this kind of thing. You know, just I I look at COVID, one of my docs downtown said, we just need to be thankful that this wasn't Ebola. Imagine if Ebola was spreading around the planet and in the, the Calcutta or in the, the slums outside of Nairobi or some of these things. You know, just so this stuff's on the docket. We're here now. You know, we're, we're waiting for the rapture. We're looking for the Lord to, to take us out of here. We're not just worried about rats anymore. Now we're worried about bats. You know, it just doesn't stop. But it hasn't been released yet. It's still restrained. So for you and I, our unsafe friends and relatives, you look at them and realize, you know, personally, when's the rapture coming? If we're here next week, we'll study the next chapter. What's going to happen this week? There's so much intrigue. I'm living in a movie. I would rent this movie on TV if I knew what the name of it was. Right? It's crazy, isn't it? But what it's all speaking to us as believers, we're, we're, we're at the door. Chuck Smith, again, used to say, when you see the Christmas decorations go up, you know Thanksgiving is close at hand. 
You know, and the, as we're seeing these things, you know, the rapture is ready to take place. You know, and we're, we're the last generation to share the love of Jesus with a lost world. And I pray we see a great revival before he comes. But he doesn't know anybody anything. He's done everything. You know, interesting thing here, we're going to see that after the salt and light are gone, the church is gone. When we get to the next seal, all we do is see all of these martyrs. Because, well, look at the animosity now. The world, and even America, hates righteousness, hates biblical morality, hates the fact that we worship, hates the fact that we would have any values that are different than theirs. There's hatred, there's animus, and it's growing. Imagine what that anger is going to be like after the rapture, after the kids disappear, after war and deception, after famine. It tells us that the number of martyrs in chapter 7 is going to be multitudes upon multitudes that come out of the Great Tribulation. Because we're going to have the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams that are going to survive for the whole time. They're going to be marked and sealed. You're going to have the two prophets, I believe Moses and Elijah. You can think about that if uh, if we ever get to chapter 11. If we don't, you'll see that I'm right. But I mean, you know, you got the two prophets seated outside of Jerusalem, and and it says they torment the whole world. Is the famine, is some of these things we're seeing reflected in their ministries? And what happens is people just get angrier and angrier at God. And he only he judges here. Much of this looks naturalistic. The next set, when we when we get to the trumpets, it's a third of everything. Not everything, because he's still leaving time for people to breathe and get saved. A third, but it gets more supernatural. And then finally, when the vials come, it is evident that it's completely supernatural. But it says, men and women don't repent. They shake their fist at the sky and they blaspheme God. And they refuse to repent of their fornication, their sorcery, their murder, and their theft. You just think, you know, mankind. But here's my philosophy. If I can get to heaven, anybody can get to heaven. If I get in, anybody can get in. If I get saved, anybody can be saved. It's a miracle I'm going to be there. I don't know how you feel when you look in the mirror. Every day I say, are you sure? You know, uh, you know, just, just amazing. So I would say, are you encouraged? Really? I'm not after studying this, but I would say as we look at it, look, it should it should spur us on to evangelism. Let's just be clear. And people, there are a number of people that are open now, more than they've been. I think that um, we need to be careful, like even doing this study, that we don't walk out, oh, what's the point? I ain't going back there. No, no. Jesus said, when you see these things, let not your heart be troubled. This is, the, this is the autopilot. This is what the Lord decided. He's wiser than us. He's more loving than we are. He's going to allow these things to go forth. This is not us. It's Jesus in his redemptive form opening the seals. I would say again, <clears throat> as you see these things, don't neglect the gathering together of yourselves. And again, I'm not speaking to those who have comorbidities or people who, for good reason, aren't coming now because of covid There are people who their doctors have told them not to come. 
Uh, we've asked you not to come. If you have symptoms, someone in your house has symptoms, you got a positive test, don't come to church, okay? If we will just live out Philippians 2, the church should be fairly safe, considering others better than ourselves. But there are a lot of people sitting at home because they're just scared. And somewhere in there, there's a balance. Not up for me to say, but faith and fear do not dwell together well. And look, the gathering together ourselves is important because isolation is killing more people than COVID. Suicide rate has gone through the ceiling. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction is up. Isolation, before this all started, loneliness was the biggest plague in America. When we could go anywhere we wanted. The consuming of prescription drugs because of that. Now, one out of four Americans has considered harming themselves since the lockdowns began. So this is healthy. Is it... Dangerous? I don't think so. I think it's dangerous not to have this because of what's inside of us. This is health to us, and I think it's important. I think we need to use wisdom, social distance, whatever. God's telling you to wear a mask, wear a mask. We should be wise. We should really not come if we got COVID or we're sick or we're around someone that does. You know, those are just basic things. It'll keep the whole body healthy. But that's another thing. As we see these things happening around us, isolation is not good. This is the time we're seeing these things. It's great to talk to somebody else or to pray with somebody else or to call somebody else or send somebody else a letter or a card or take a dinner to somebody else's house and not be afraid. Amen? So you see it happening, right? It's, these are the beginning of sorrows. You see the rumbling around us, right? We're, we haven't entered into it. We won't be here when the world enters into it full. But we can see all of these things around us rumbling right now. You can imagine what it would be like if any of them were let loose. Evangelize. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't isolate. It isn't healthy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead. And if we're here next week, we'll, we'll move on. We'll finish up the chapter, Lord willing. Father, thank you for these. Thank you that we can kind of laugh, kind of, Lord, in the days we're living in. And uh, thank you we can gather and raise our hands and our hearts and sing your praise. Thank you, Lord, that we can sit back and look at some of these things and really ask you, Lord, as individual believers, what is it you want us to do with this? How do you want this to affect us, Lord? Your word never returns void, and you put this to the page to hand to us, Lord. And what is it then that, that Lord, you would have in us and through us in regards to these things? And we do see them, Lord, beginning. So, Lord, we, we pray you come quickly, Lord. We, we pray that, Lord. If you would tarry, we pray we might see the greatest revival we, that the world has ever seen before you come. 
Lord, give us uh, open doors with our friends and our relatives and uh, co-workers and so forth. Calm our hearts, Lord, as we see crazy things happening around us. And Lord, keep us from isolation, Lord. You, every joint, every ligament supplies. You've made us to be part of something. You take the solitary and you put them in flocks. We're thankful for that. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.